Hey guys, welcome back to the Late Night Murder Podcast. We're your hosts, I'm Nicole. I'm Chase. And this week we'll be hopping around the U.S. a little bit, but we will be settling our story in South Carolina as we talk about the Amazon Review Killer. Before we get into this week's episode, we just wanted to thank everybody who's already rated and reviewed the podcast. Your support really means the world to us. We love doing this for you and can't wait to do more. The Amazon review killer? Yep. You you have piqued my interest. I'm glad I have. I'm ready. Whiskey in hand. I'm ready to go. You need a drink still from last week? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's get into it. Let's do it. Just a little trigger warning before we get started for our listeners, though. This episode does contain components and descriptions of sexual assault, murder, kidnapping, and animal cruelty. <sighs> it is not a ton. It better not be. There, I hate that shit. Yeah, I, there, there's not a ton of animal cruelty. Okay. But I mean, all any of it's bad. But yeah, it, I hate all of that, but that's, yeah, I don't like that. Yeah. Okay, so let's start this story at Superbike Motorsports. It is a motorcycle shop in Chesney, South Carolina. Okay. I'm pretty sure that's how you say it. It's C-H-E-S-N-E-E. Yeah, that'd be Chesney, I think. That's what I would guess. So we're going to go there, and it's November 6, 2003, just to kind of set the Got it. timeline of things. So a customer walks into the store, and they find the owner, Scott Ponder, who is 30, service manager Brian Lucas, who is 29, mechanic Chris Sherbert, who is 26, and bookkeeper Beverly Guy, 52, who is also Scott's mom, all shot dead inside. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Wow. Yeah, all right. We're starting off crazy. That we are. So all four of them had died from multiple gunshot wounds. Holy shit. When investigators get to the scene and everything, they believe that the gunman, armed with a pistol, entered the shop from the back and killed Chris the mechanic first, then he killed Beverly in the middle of the showroom, Brian in the front doorway, and Scott in the parking lot out front, just kind of how it looked, like where the bodies were laid and how they were found. Okay, so they're they're saying that this is one guy mm-hmm. already? Yes. Okay. So all the bullets, like, matched each other, so they figured it was one gun sort of thing. All right. And then it appeared that Brian and Scott had been trying to run out the front door and, like, out into the parking lot of this motor shop. Okay. So that's kind of why they think they were last to be killed. Got it. Okay. Obviously, the investigators go to the victim's families and friends just to see if anyone was angry with them, if anyone had a grudge, anything like that. That makes sense. Yeah. Just to like rule out people, try to get a heads up of where to start from here. So according to Melissa, Scott, the owner's wife, she believed that this happened due to a disgruntled customer. Okay. So then police started going through all the customers that they could find, like all the order logs and everything that had bought motorcycles and things like that. Yeah. For the past few months or so. Just to, and they were calling all of them, leaving them messages, trying to figure out if any of them knew anything, if any of them saw anything, anything of that nature. Right. But they were coming up dry. The leads were ending. Wasn't a lot to go on. 
Authorities did get a tip about a year after the murders that Scott was sterile and couldn't have babies. And Melissa had recently had a baby, though. Oh, shit. Okay. Damn, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm like a little shell-shocked here because we usually don't start off that hot. That was crazy. I know, I know. Okay. Yeah. We're making the iron hot by striking, not striking when it's hot today. Oh, my goodness. Holy cow. Okay. So that's so the authorities go to check this out. The police actually extracted DNA from one of her child's diapers and tested it against the DNA they got from Scott from the murder a year ago. They took it from the kid. So does she not know they're doing this? Or? They did not know at this point. Okay. So the DNA did not match Scott of the child. Okay. So this obviously made police start to look at Melissa being involved in this quadruple homicide. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, Chesney's a small town, so like these things they like to say don't happen in small towns. They're figuring it's got to be someone close to them. It's got to be something like that. Okay. So they're really starting to look at Melissa for this, or at least being involved somewhat. Right. So the police actually thought that the baby had come from another man, Brian Lucas, who was the shop's manager. Okay. So the police are thinking that Melissa had an affair with Brian and had a baby, and then for some reason killed them all. That doesn't make any sense, no. Yeah. So Melissa finds out that they used the DNA from her baby's diaper, demands that it could be nobody else's baby but Scott's, that that rumor of him being sterile was just a rumor, mm-hmm. and had the police take the DNA straight from her kid. She's like, I will watch you take this DNA. Okay. And she's standing by her own. She's like, this is Scott's baby. How dare you? Okay. So the police take new DNA, and when they retest it, it still didn't match Scott's. No kidding. I mean, it's not going to lie. DNA yeah. don't, it don't lie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note, DNA is DNA. Like you said, it doesn't lie. If it doesn't match, it doesn't match. Right. But you know who, like, runs all the DNA and does all the testing? humans right human error is a bitch yeah so with the second re like the retest not matching scott's melissa was still adamant this is scott's baby there's no way nothing so the police were like all right fine we'll take scott's dna and match it to his mom's beverly that we have from the scene just to prove that hey this is scott's dna because there's no question if scott is beverly's child right right they don't match. What the hell? So what had happened is the police at some point had switched up Brian Lucas's and Scott Ponder's DNA. So when they, because when they tested Brian's DNA, it matched Beverly's. Oh, okay. They had mislabeled them. Oh, good Lord. Okay. So then they retest with Scott's actual DNA to the baby and it's Scott's baby. Oh, my God. Oh, jeez, so, Louise. So with that, with that all being sorted out, the police officially ruled out Melissa for being involved in the murder of her husband and the other three. And this is a year after. Yeah. Already. Yeah, so we're in 2004. Hmm. So then from there, like I said, they were already running out of leads. This case kind of gets cold, and they have nothing else to go on at the moment. Okay. So we're going to bookmark there, and I want you to remember all of that, Okay. Okay. So now we're going to talk about Todd Christopher Samsell. Okay. 
He was born March 7th, 1971 in Florida. All right. Around the age of two or three, his parents got a divorce and custody fell into his mom's hands. Like he went to live with his mom. Okay. So his mom remarries in 1974. So the year after she gets a divorce from Todd's dad, she gets remarried to another guy. And then Todd growing up, even at an early age, it was reported that he was a troublesome child. He would destroy other people's, other kids' toys if they were making him angry. He would get aggressive with other kids as well. And just if they made him angry, he would try to fight them or take their stuff and break it, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So when Todd was about nine, he started counseling for this quote, explosive behavior. It was also noted that by this point, Todd had displayed cruelty to animals. And so here's your trigger warning if you want to skip over to this part. I'm, I would like to skip over this part. I'm sorry. <laughs> Someone's got to hear me tell, tell it. So it's reported that Todd shot a dog with a BB gun. And he also drowned a fish in bleach because his mom bought him a goldfish and he wanted a gerbil. So he put bleach in the tank? He put, yeah, bleach in the fishbowl and killed the fish because he wanted a gerbil. Okay. Not great. I would have just told my mom I wanted a gerbil or I would have just kept the fish. Yeah, I don't, could have given the fish away or something. Mm. Also, whose dog is he shooting? Is it his own dog or is it like his neighbor's dog or something? I don't know. I couldn't find anything else about like if the dog was okay after or... Whose dog it was, it's just reported that he shot a dog with a BB gun. Okay. But the fish was because he wanted a gerbil and his mom got him. That's definitely going to make his mom want to get him a gerbil now. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. So at this time, Todd was actually sent to live in an inpatient psychiatric hospital because of his inability to get along with others and all of this explosive, violent behavior he was portraying. Okay. How old is he now? Around nine or ten. Okay. That's really young still Mm -hmm. it is so he gets out of the inpatient psychiatric hospital and for the past eight years he's like ever since he could talk really he's always been pleading to go live with his father who now lives in tempe arizona tempe Mm -hmm. okay and his mom was just always like no you're gonna stay here and then finally after this stay in the hospital his mom relents and says okay yeah you can go move in with your dad so Todd moves in with his dad in Tempe, Arizona, and he's around 10 at this point. Yeah, maybe his mom's sick of his shit at this point. Yeah, I mean, I'd need a break from that. Yeah. And then also, like, as a parent, you're wondering if you're doing something to cause that, so maybe going with the other parent will stop it. When Todd moves in, he actually adopts his father's surname, Colehep. So now he's Todd Colehep. Colehep? Colehep. So... As they say, the grass is not always greener on the other side. Todd's life with his father was not what he wanted it to be. His dad was gone a lot from the house with girlfriends and that sort of thing, just kind of out and never really home. And their relationship deteriorated because of it, because he thought he would have the picture-perfect kind of life with his dad and everything would be beautiful and grand and whatever he wanted, it was not that in reality. Got it. Plus, I mean, it sounds like he's already got some violent tendencies and now they're leaving him alone. Mm-hmm. Or he's leaving him alone a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a good thing. Probably not. Yeah. So Todd, after living with his dad for a little while, he expressed that he wanted to go back and live with his mom. 
but at every chance, his mom would actually make up excuses or reasons why it wouldn't happen. So like, hey mom, I'm ready to come live with you. Dad said he can take me or whatever the arrangement was. She would always come up with something like, oh no, you can't right now because of X, Y, Z. Yeah, they're getting the house bug bombed. You can't come. Yeah, what is that? Fumigated. Fumigated, yeah. The house okay. is being fumigated. I'm like making a little clicky motion in yeah. my hand. <laughs> Okay, so he is still living with his dad, wants to go back with his mom. His mom's not allowing it. He's stuck with his dad. Mm -hmm. Things are not what he wanted. Yep. So now we're going to fast forward a little bit to 1986, 87 area. Okay. So there's this girl in Todd's neighborhood. I couldn't find her name because of like the minor sort of thing where they want to keep that stuff out of the press as much as possible. So we're just going to name her Debbie. Okay. Just for story's sake. Okay. So Debbie is 14 at the time, and she had a few crushes on some of Todd's buddies, you know, like guys around the neighborhood, people she went to school with. Okay. But not Todd. And Todd had a crush on her. Mm-hmm. So it really stunk for him. On November 25th of 1986, 15-year-old Todd was feeling a sense of rejection from all of this, which, I mean, the girl that you like doesn't like you. It makes sense to feel rejected. Right, yeah, your mom doesn't want you around. The house is fumigated every time you try and come over, and then the girl you like don't like you. And your dad's always gone with new girlfriends. Right. So yeah, I totally understand that. However, I don't think I would have reacted in the way Todd did. So he knew that this girl, Debbie, was babysitting her two younger siblings at home, like while the parents went out, Mm -hmm. on November 25th. So Todd actually shows up to her house with a twenty-two caliber revolver, forces her to come back to his house with him, Oh, shit. Leaving the two younger siblings at the house alone. He waited till she was in a room alone without the kids. I don't know if they were down for a nap or whatever it was. But then that's when he came and took her. Okay. So he takes her back to his house. His dad's house? Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay. Yeah, his dad's house. So this is what I'm talking about. He's alone, probably. His dad's not there, I would imagine. I'm betting not. So while at Todd's house, he ties this girl up. Tapes her mouth shut and rapes her. (sighs) Okay. So after all of that is said and done, he actually walks her back to her home and is just repeating over and over, if you tell anyone, if you tell the police about this, I'm going to kill your younger younger siblings. Jesus Christ. That's a lot. Yeah, he's a fucking nutsack. Mm Mm-hmm. Fucking asshole yeah so as they're getting closer to the house i don't know how far away the houses were from each other but they were in sort of the same neighborhood yeah so as they're getting closer to the house they see police cars at this girl's house okay at debbie's house so todd lets her walk the rest of the way home and then as she gets there the police are like oh where have you been Mm -hmm. what happened because what had happened while she was on her way to Todd's house and going through that entire horrific thing. Mm-hmm. One of her younger siblings had actually recently learned how to dial 911. So when oh, they couldn't okay, find good. yeah, so when they couldn't find her, they called 911 and said, "Hey, my sister's not here anymore. She she was, but now she's gone. She's missing." Good, good. So then when the girl does get back to her house, the police are asking her questions like, "Hey, where were you? What happened?" And then she believed Todd at first. She was like, "I'm I'm not going to say anything, so she doesn't. And then with a little more coaxing, she does let out, hey, yeah, this is what happened. She does tell him. Yeah, she does tell him. She says, Todd, Colehead, 
took me, tied me up, duct taped my mouth, raped me. Good, good. That's a lot of courage. Good for her. Yeah, I'm really proud of her because that would be terrifying at 14. Hell yeah. Someone with a gun taking you from your house and then walking you back and saying, I will hurt and murder your siblings. Oh, that would be scary for you as an adult. Yeah, I know. Let alone a kid, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm proud of her for so like... So they go get go get his nutsack ass? Did they go get him or what? What's the deal? Yep. So Todd was easily apprehended at his parent, at his dad's house and charged with kidnapping, sexual assault, and committing a dangerous crime against children because he left the two younger children home alone. Good. Kiss my ass. Get him out of there. So during... He goes to court. Uh, Todd pleaded guilty to the kidnapping charge so the other charges would be dropped. Okay. The judge actually has this case moved to adult court partly because of todd's aggressive nature he's like this is such an aggressive thing for a 15 year old to do you're going to adult court for this you're damn right yeah so like i said it was part of a plea deal where todd would plead guilty to the kidnapping charge and all the others would be dropped in exchange he was sentenced to 15 years in prison and had to register as a sex offender upon release okay so he's 15 going into prison for 15 years all right okay that's good so i did find according to court documents from this trial todd was actually diagnosed with bipolar personality disorder okay as well as having an above average iq of 118 okay so during sentencing of this the judge stated that todd was quote very bright and should be advanced academically but behaviorally and emotionally dangerous end quote I would say. The judge also stated that, quote, 25 of the most intensive and expensive professional interventions short of gods will provide no protection for the public and no rehabilitation of this juvenile, end quote. Ooh, damn. So the judge saw it right off the bat. He was like, this guy's bad. He's a bad, yeah, he's a piece of shit. And I mean, he's saying this about a 15-year-old, too. I don't give a shit. No, I know. I'm just saying, like, for you to see past the kid thing, I feel like it's got to be real bad. Well, once you kidnap and rape somebody, I don't think you're a kid anymore. Fair. I'm and sorry. It, it is a really bad thing. Yeah. It, That's, I'm not saying it. Shit, there's no excuse for rapists. I have a, those are the highest degree of assholes. So Todd's probation officer also wrote a similar statement in court documents, adding that Todd, quote, felt the world owed him something, end quote. Okay. Todd's defense attorney, however, went on to say that, quote, he did not believe his client, Todd, would go on to harm others, end quote, in the future. Well, they gotta say some shit like that anyway. Yeah. You know? I couldn't be a defense attorney, like... No, I don't think I could either. It sucks, too. Like, you have... If you're a defense attorney, you have to defend them, and you have to do it well, because even if you suck at it, then they'll get a new trial later. Right. Because it was ineffective use of counsel or whatever it's called. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. No paycheck is big enough to do that. For me. So while incarcerated during these 15 years, Todd was cited multiple times, actually, in the beginning for different violations, some that included violent behavior, some that didn't. However, after he turned 20, there are no other records of disobedience in his prison record. Okay. So for the last 10 years he was in prison, just nothing showed up on his record. He wasn't cited. It's either he he was less of a shithead or he just didn't get caught. Yeah. One of those things. Got it. So while in prison, Todd not only attended, but actually graduated from Central Arizona College with a bachelor's degree in computer science. Okay. So in August of 2001, 
Todd Kohlhelf was released from prison after serving 14 years, and he moves to South Carolina where his mother was currently living. Mm -hmm. So from January 2002 to November 2003, he worked for a company in nearby Spartanburg, South Carolina as a graphic designer. Okay. And then Todd actually goes back to school and ends up graduating from South Carolina Upstate in 2008 with a bachelor's degree in business administration marketing. Okay, so he's got the computer science and that now? Mm -hmm. Yep, so he's got two bachelor's degrees. Sounds like a smart guy. Mm Mm-hmm. Sounds like an entitled asshole smart guy. Yep. So despite being registered as a sex offender during all of this, he was actually able to get his real estate license back in 2006, so a couple years before he graduated with that second bachelor's degree. So now he's getting a real estate license? Mm -hmm. Yep. So he's got a bachelor's in computer science. He's going back to school for business administration and marketing, and now he's got a real estate license. That's weak. That doesn't seem like the job path. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I mean, it just seems like you would do something else. Well, he went to prison when he was 15, so he just kind of, I think he was like sprinkling, trying to figure out. Yeah. Okay. So to get his real estate license, he actually lied on his application when asked if he had committed any felonies. Okay. Or been convicted of any felonies, sorry. Yeah. What's different from 2006 to now is background checks were not required for real estate licenses until like 2007-ish. So there was no way that they could go, oh, this came up in your background check even though you said you weren't convicted of any felonies. Oh, they were just trust, they were trusting them to just be like, oh, I d- nope, yeah. not at all. Yeah, it's, they, I'm an innocent guy. They trusted the application process. That's crazy. That's, that's terrifying. Yeah, that's crazy, especially for a job like that. You're just alone with people showing them places they don't know. In random houses. Yeah, that's crazy. Random empty houses. Like, That's got to be like one of the top jobs that I would say you better do a damn background check. I know. No. Uh. With getting his license, Todd was actually able to create his own real estate firm that had about a dozen employees. He created his own firm. Yep. So this man has one and a half bachelor's degrees at this point, a real estate license, and his own real estate firm. God damn. After serving 15 years in prison. Holy shit. Yeah. Okay. So Todd had also been recognized as a top-selling agent in the entire state of South Carolina during this time. So we're going to skip forward a few years. Um, Sometime during this next eight-ish years, six, eight years, Todd buys a giant acreage of land. It's roughly, I saw 95 and 100 acres of land. That's That's a massive amount of land. Yeah, so he buys this entire property. Holy shit, that's huge. Oh, he bought it in 2014, sorry. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Where at? In It's near Woodruff, South Carolina. So it's okay, about 30... South Carolina. Yeah, so it's about 30 minutes from his primary, like where he lives in Moore, South Carolina. Ah, it's making me mad how well he is doing. How much oh. do you think it cost him in 2014 for 100 acres? Back, a while back, so I mean, maybe, I don't know, three or four hundred bucks, I don't know. <laughs> 300,000. 300,000 for that much land? Uh-huh. That makes me sick anyway. God. Good Lord. Wow. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that. That's so cheap. That's like a one-bedroom house here. Yes. Maybe. Wow. Okay. So after buying this gigantic property, he actually puts a fence around the entire thing that cost him around $80,000. Okay. So now let's talk about the people around Todd just to see how he is after getting out of prison like what his personality is like okay Okay. so a customer who had sold her home to todd 
remembers him being extremely outgoing and professional. Mm-hmm. But, because there's always a but. Yep. She also noted that he would often talk about his firearms and would subtly use sexual innuendos during their conversations. Okay. A woman who was an assistant to one of Todd's agents at the firm remembers him being angry and condescending towards her partner. Mm-hmm. A banker that frequently did business with Todd stated that he often found Todd to be watching pornography while at work. He was watching porn at work, huh? Mm-hmm. And there was actually a Waffle House that Todd went to pretty frequently. The waitresses all refused to take Todd's order because he was so inappropriate with them that they had to get a cook, a male cook from the back of the kitchen and come out and take his order to him. And, like, even take his order to begin with. Sounds like he has issues with women, specifically. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what it sounds like. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it could be that his mom didn't seem to want him. I don't know. I don't either. So now that we kind of know what Todd's doing after prison, we're going to... Okay, so I'm going to introduce you to two more people. All right. We have Kayla Brown and Charlie Carver. Kayla Brown? Yeah, Kayla Brown. Okay. Does that sound familiar to you? No. Okay. Eminem wrote a song with her in it. Not with her, but mentioned her in it, so that's why I was wondering. Oh, really? Yeah. No, I don't. Okay. So Kayla Brown is 30 at this time, and Charlie Carver is also 30. They're a boyfriend and girlfriend. Okay. So they go missing on around August 31st, 2016, when they went to go do cleaning and upkeep work on Todd's 100-acre property. Wonderful. So Anderson Police Chief Jim Stewart said they were pinging their phones um, up to two days after they were reported missing, and then the phones died. Okay. He also says that Kayla's phone pinged on the property right before it went dead. Like, it pinged there a couple times, and then it went dead. So there were some rumors going around at this time. Okay. Okay. You just look like you're trying to put stuff together. No, yeah, I was thinking. I was just thinking because we talked about how they didn't do a background check on him. Uh Uh-huh. And he managed to somehow build all of this stuff, but it's his own company. Is that what the deal is? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, he's yeah, not going to do a background check on himself then, but then he wouldn't have to have a license if everybody was doing it for him. Well, he has a license. Well, I know, but the, he wouldn't need it. Like, even if they found that out and took his license away, he could still have that company and have other people sell houses. Maybe. I don't know how all that works. I don't know. I just think, like... What the hell, dude? Are you, like, grandfathered in? It's like, oh, you lied on it, but that's okay. Because we didn't do background checks back then, so it's well, like, it don't matter. I don't think they, like, re-up them. Like, you reapply or anything. Oh, so if you have a real estate license, you can just, it's you have it forever? Well, I think you might have to do, like, certain things, like maybe continuing education or proof that you're using it or something or... Okay. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm curious about that. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> okay. No worries. <laughs> So, Kayla and Charlie are reported missing on, around August 31st. The police are pinging their phones, trying to find them. Kayla's phone pings on near Todd's 100-acre property. Mm-hmm. So, around the area that Kayla and Charlie had gone missing from, like, kind of where they lived and everything, there were rumors flying around that they had gone to clean this 100-acre property, weren't responding or posting to Facebook or anything. Well, actually, Charlie was supposedly posting to Facebook. We'll talk about that in a second. Okay. 
So then, while police don't have a search warrant to go look at this property, they decide just to fly a plane over it, right? Okay. They're like, well, we don't really have anything to go on. We don't know where these guys are. Their phones did ping near Woodruff, which is where that 100-acre property is. Mm-hmm. So Anderson police actually call Woodruff police and say, hey, do you have, like, how many 100-acre properties do you have in your county or near you? And they're like, you know, we only have one. We only have one of those. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, who's it registered to? And they're like, Todd Colehead. And they're like, all right, cool. The Anderson police go ahead and fly over it. And then what they see down there is what they needed to get a search warrant. What does that mean? Is their car there or something? Yeah. So I'll tell you in just, uh, we'll get there. Okay. You're always guessing. Always guessing. So they realized that they needed to get on the ground and go see what was actually there. They needed to physically go and see what was happening. Mm-hmm. So that's what they did. So investigators were serving a search warrant to this property. What they had seen on this entire 100-acre property was right in the square middle of this entire thing was a two-car garage with, like, a barn-type living situation on top and a 30-foot by 15-foot storage container in the middle of the property, and that is the only thing. Like, there's trees. The only thing that's on it? There's trees and stuff, but that is it. There's, like, a driveway leading up to it, but that is it. Okay. That's all they could see from the air. They're like, this is weird. We have people missing, and this is in the middle of... We should go take a look. Yeah, check it out. So that's what they do. As they're serving the search warrant, as they get up close to the storage container and the two-car garage, they hear banging from inside the container. Okay. So they go ahead and open up the storage container. It's got padlocks on it. Uh And then they get pliers or they get something to open that up and they open it right up open the doors and kayla is found inside of this 30 foot by 15 foot storage container that was padlocked she was found chained to the wall on the inside of the container she had chains on her arms and her neck i don't remember if they were on her legs but they were definitely on her arms and her neck like she was chained to the wall of this container it was pitch black in there Okay. So search of the rest of the property actually found Charlie's car hidden in a ravine covered in brush. Oh, shit. Okay. So when they ask, like, hey, who are you? Like, what's happening? And she's like, I'm Kayla. I'm like, I'm Kayla Brown. They're like, where's Charlie? Where's Charlie Carver? And then Kayla states that Todd had killed Charlie because Todd was mad at Kayla for bringing Charlie. Oh, my God. So what had happened was Kayla had answered Todd's wanted ad about cleaning, and then obviously she's going to this random place in the middle of nowhere to work for a dude. Yeah. She brings her boyfriend along. That would make sense, yeah. Yeah. So that's why Todd was mad at Kayla, from what Kayla said. Okay. So during Kayla's captivity... Kayla was sexually assaulted repeatedly and intimidated into not escaping after Todd had shown her the graves of other victims on the property. Like the upturned, graves of other victims? Like upturned dirt on the property. Okay. And then at one point he had also told Kayla that even if you do make it out of here, no, like cadaver dogs won't even be able to find your boyfriend, Charlie, because I put cayenne pepper all on the ground. What the Because cayenne pepper, since dogs have such a sensitive nose, mm. yeah, it like messes up and it can ruin their sense of smell for the rest of their lives. This guy is a loony. Yeah. 
Okay, so when they're searching, is he on the property? No, he is at his house and more. Okay. So about 30 minutes away, 30, 40 minutes away. So then this is Kayla's story as relayed to investigators by her friend Dan Heron, who kind of stayed with her at the hospital because obviously they took her right there. Yeah, thank God she's alive. Mm-hmm. So he said, quote, they were going to do some work, talking about Charlie and Kayla, help clean up the property, and he, Todd, pulled out a gun and took them hostage. End quote. And that's kind of what Kayla had told Dan and Dan had told investigators. So prosecutor Barry Barnett would also later state that Kayla Brown saw her captor shoot and kill her boyfriend. Good Lord. Kayla tells investigators that she had been held there for against her will for at least two months. Two months. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Kayla had said that she had been fed during her time in captivity, but only was allowed one meal a day, and Todd would bring it to her. Okay, so let's go get him. Right. Yep. Tell you a couple things that happened first, before we get to him arresting. Like, things that happened while the couple were missing. So, Todd, on his own Facebook and of his own volition, posted about news reports on the missing people in the area. His post said, quote, reading the news, dot, dot, this person missing, that person missing, another person missing. Oh, wait, that person just went to the beach with friend. Another person found with her parole violation, violation boyfriend. In the event I become missing, please note no one would take me. I eat too much and I am crabby, end quote. What? So that post was written about two weeks after the couple disappeared in August. So he had Kayla in the storage container when he posted that on Facebook. Fucking narcissist, too. Mm-hmm. And so during this time, Charlie Carver, the boyfriend of Kayla, was actually in a pretty messy divorce separation thing from his wife. Her name was Nikki. So while Kayla and Charlie are missing, Charlie's Facebook was used to post things such as... Like old pictures of Charlie, things like that. Just kind of cryptic sort of messages. People would be like, oh, where are you? What's happening? All of that. Like, are you okay, Charlie? What's going on? And then it would just be like one like one or two word answers of yes to are you okay or I'm fine sort of thing. So I guess what, is he using his phone or something? Is that what the deal is? or? So I don't know? know. So there's some debate and speculation between that was it the ex-wife because she wanted to undermine charlie i think it it was todd though yeah that doesn't make any sense well because they were going through like the rocky divorce and she didn't nikki didn't want the divorce and it was really messy and charlie had this new girlfriend kayla yeah but that's a weird thing to do i don't think i don't know that doesn't make what seals my thinking that it's todd will actually get to in a minute because i don't want to tell you that part just yet okay so, obviously, after they find Kayla, Todd Colehelp is arrested immediately. Like, police are like, hey, we found this girl. Go pick him up. Here's his right. house. Yeah, go get him. Picks him up. Everything's fine. They take him back to the station. So, Todd, while he's at the station, he actually confesses. However, he confesses in exchange for something for himself, of course. Of course, yeah. He asks for three things. He asks to talk to his mom to give his mom a picture, and to transfer some of his money in his checking, savings, whatever, to a friend's child's college fund. Okay. 
Can you imagine your child or your child's or your college fund being funded by this guy? Oh, I, oh, I got a bachelor's degree because of Todd Cohelt. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be weird. While meeting with his mother, he confesses to the killings and the kidnapping. Okay. Todd's mother would later say that she, Todd had told her Charlie had been killed for, quote, having a really smart mouth, which Todd did not like. Yes, of course. You, you deserve all the respect. Mm-hmm. Todd had also told his mom that he kept Kayla captive because she had done nothing wrong to Todd and he didn't want to hurt her. Todd's mom actually comes to his defense and adds that Todd, her son, had tried to make Kayla as comfortable as possible. His defense? And made sure to feed her. Oh my God, she's not a pet. How about you let her go? Jesus Christ. That's how you can make that girl comfortable. That man, that's, that blows me away. Yeah. What? Good Lord. Yep. How? Jesus. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in a secondary search of Todd's 100-acre property around November 6, November 7, 2016, two more bodies are found. Two more bodies mm-hmm. are found. So they found Charlie's. Mm-hmm. I think that day, the day they found Kayla or the day after. Okay. And then a couple days later, they go back just to do another search, like a wider perimeter sort of thing. They find two extra bodies. Not two extra, but two more bodies. Yeah. So these bodies would later be identified as Johnny Joe Cox, 29, and Megan Lee McCraw Coxie, who was 26. So these two had actually been missing since December 25th, December 26th of 2015, so almost an entire year earlier. Holy hell. They had allegedly been hired by Todd to work on his property. Sound familiar? Mm Mm-hmm. So Megan had been killed by a gunshot wound to the head on December 5th or 26th. That's about where the coroner estimated her time of death. While Johnny had been killed about a week earlier by a gunshot wound to the torso. Mm. I hear that hurts. Yeah. I mean, getting shot probably hurts, period. But I hear like the stomach is really painful. Yeah. So because of decomp and everything and it had been almost a year, they had to be identified by their extensive tattoos. Okay. So a little backstory on them. They were both reported missing on December 22nd, 2015 by Megan's mom. They had recently just been released from jail. They had a child together. They were getting their life back on track. Like they had gone in for drug possession and those sorts of charges and then they got out of jail. Okay. Megan got out of jail. About a week later, Johnny got out of jail. They were trying to get their life together. They were excited that they had this cleaning opportunity. It was going to make them a lot of money. They were going to get a good start on like on life everything was starting to go good for them gotcha and then todd Cohelp happened mm-hmm. okay so todd is in custody he's talked to his mom now he's talking to police he confesses that he shot charlie he killed the other two and he also confesses to another thing hmm. He confesses to the now 13-year-old cold case of the 2003 Superbike Motorsports murders. Oh my god, this guy's fucking horrible. 13 years! So during this confession, Todd talks about how he even still has the shirt that the shop had given him. So around 2003, like before the murders obviously, Todd had actually been doing really well for himself. He had, he was getting ready to do his real estate license. Things were looking up. He had just gotten out of prison, finished school, that sort of thing. So he wanders on down to Superbike Motorsports and gets himself a bike. 
Yeah. And he's super excited to get a bike. He's so pumped. He buys it. He's at home. Can't ride it. Doesn't know how to ride a bike. Does not know how to ride a motorcycle. Okay, you idiot. Why'd you buy one? Exactly. I wrote that in my notes. Why did you buy a motorcycle if you did not know how to ride it? So the bike he bought originally was a 2003, so brand new at the time, Suzuki GSX-R750. Yeah, that's a fast motorcycle. That is French to me, but you understand that. That's a sports bike, yep. So that's the bike he bought. I call it a Jixer. Is that what? Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, GX750, yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's the bike he bought. He takes it home. He can't ride it. He doesn't know how to ride a motorcycle. And that's a big bike. Yeah, that's not a starter bike, I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I so. wouldn't want to learn on that, really. That's a pretty fast bike to learn on. I wouldn't either. So then when he buys this bike, they give him a shirt from the shop, like merch, like, hey, here, wear the, wear the shirt around. Yeah. That sort of thing. So then because Todd couldn't ride the bike, he this is all on his account because we don't have anyone else's account of all of this. Just keep that in mind. Yeah. So he can't ride the bike. He takes the bike back to the shop and says, hey, can I return this for a smaller bike? Maybe get some of my money back. And on his account, the shop's employees were rude to him and made fun of his inability to ride the bike. Okay. So then he gets butthurt, is sad, whatever, takes the bike, like, Leaves again with the, what did you say, Jixer? Yeah. So he leaves with it and takes it back to his apartment. He's like, I'll figure this out later, sort of thing. Yeah. And then he says, not even two weeks later, the bike was stolen from in front of his apartment complex. Okay. He then goes on to state that the need for a motorcycle just kept jonesing and jonesing in his head. Like, he just wanted a motorcycle. Okay. So he starts going back to Superbike Motorsports. He says that during some of these subsequent visits... The employees were always trash-talking him about having to get a new bike ready for him just because even though he was going to return it later because he still couldn't ride it. So Todd says, quote, I got mad about it and kept going there. Why I kept going to the same bike place, I don't know, end quote. Because you're a dumbass. <laughs> yeah. So I actually looked on Google Maps and at least now in like the relative 20-30 minute area, there's at least... 20 motorbike shops in that area mm-hmm. i don't know how many there were when back in 2003 but now there's at least 20 in that area so it's safe to say a few of them have been in business for that long right no i think he knew why he was going back there it was he was fueling the fire to go do something shitty yeah probably so then todd finally gets into the day of the murders for police he states that after an afternoon class at school, because mind you, in 2003, he's still working to get that bachelor's degree, that second one. Yeah. So after an afternoon class, he goes to a CVS, puts on a shoulder holster with a 9 millimeter gun that he had recently acquired. Okay. When he gets to the... How do you get a gun? You can't get a gun if you have a, fe- a felony, can you? Well, I mean, bad people get guns all the time. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess you're right, but I don't know. I feel like he just keeps sneaking under the, the radar yeah, I don't, the whole time. I don't know exactly how he got the gun, but he got it. So he's got this gun on his shoulder holster, and he goes to the bike shop. So when he gets to the shop, he sits on a few bikes, because there's other customers around and everything like that. So he's just sitting on a few bikes, kind of taking a look at them, just mm-hmm. being a brow- browser. Yeah. 
He says he did this, stalling for other customers to leave because, quote, collateral damage is not cool, end quote. Yeah. This man cares about collateral damage. I mean, I'm glad he did. Yeah, I, I guess it could have been worse, but... It's still not good. No. So Scott Ponder, remind, remind you, he's the owner of the shop. Mm-hmm. He was away or had run an errand, but when he got back and all the other customers had left, Todd says, hey, Scott, I want to buy this one. And he's sitting on a bike. I don't couldn't find which bike it was he was sitting on. Mm-hmm. So they're like, all right, cool. So Chris, the mechanic, takes it to the back to go prep it for sale. Mm-hmm. So Todd can take it home. Todd says that he waited a few minutes as paperwork was being prepared and then headed on back to the back of the shop and shot Chris at least twice. And then he also says, quote, I was not meaning to hit the mom. I prefer not to shoot women if I can. She got thrown into it. She wasn't a primary target, end quote. Oh, my God. Doesn't make you a better human Uh, if you say these things. I don't think he really gives a shit. Yeah. So then he says he then shot the other two men as they tried to run away from the shop. Before he left, Todd does state that he did another walkthrough of the shop and shot each victim in the head to ensure that they were dead. Todd says that he was focused on the shootings like it was a video game and brags to investigators that, quote, I cleared that building in under 30 seconds. You guys would have been proud, end quote. Oh, my God. What the fuck? Lunatic. You know, I bet that defense lawyer from the first case, like, if he ever found out... He's eating his shoes. Yeah, he's got to feel horrible. I mean, that's his job to defend him. It's not like he he chose that, you know. I guess yeah. he could have chose not to, but... Yeah. How was he to know that he would get this much worse? Like, yeah. it's just... God. All right. Yeah. And then I think he brought up the video game thing because this is... 2014, it's 2016 now, and that's when the whole thing was going around the world that shooting games are bad for kids, and it leads to all of this. So Todd then tells investigators that he disassembled the 9mm handgun into separate bags mixed with kitty litter, and the bags were tossed into the dumpster at his apartment. And I mean, it's been 13 years, there's no way they're gonna... Yeah. Like, maybe they'd find APs. So this comment about shooting each victim in the head is actually what made police believe him. Because at first they were like, okay. He just heard about it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this comment about shooting each victim in the head is a detail that would have only been known to the killer. The police never released that to the public. So like I said in the beginning of this episode, we're talking about the Amazon review killer, right? Right. So let's get into Todd's Amazon reviews. Yeah. Okay. This man shopped on Amazon. Everybody shops on Amazon. Yeah. And I mean, 2016, that was still kind of newer. I guess. Yeah, I don't think I bought anything on Amazon in 2016. Yeah. Well, now you keep them in business. I know. (laughs) I do. I do. Me and the Amazon man know each other well. (laughs) Not like that, though. (laughs) So shortly following Kolhap's arrest, authorities in Spartanburg County actually discovered a number of seemingly joking product reviews for various items, such as padlocks, shovels, tasers, and gun accessories on Amazon.com, written all by a user 
<laughs> simply like his username was me, but it was linked to Todd Kohlhelp's Amazon account. Okay. So let's go over the reviews. Oh God. Okay. So there is one review for a folding shovel. And it said, quote, keep in car for when you have to hide the bodies and when you left the full-size shovel at home, dot, 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 does not come with a midget, would have been nice, end quote. Oh, my God. You know, you would think these are just internet trolls anyway. Like, you wouldn't think, I wouldn't think of anything of it. You know, if I read that on Amazon, I'd just be like, ha-ha, very funny. Yeah, I know. I showed you that thing the other day. Yeah, there was a, yeah, we saw one the other day like that. I hope those are trolls. Yeah. Especially after this. So another review was for a padlock. It stated that, quote, solid locks have five on a shipping container. Won't stop them, but will sure slow them down till they are too old to care, end quote. Oh. You get, like, body chills for that. No, thank you. My spine is cold. So another review posted on January in 2015 for another set of padlocks says, quote, now my locks have locks. Place is Hotel California now, end quote. Mm. Yeah, that wouldn't mean anything unless you knew who he was. Yeah. So the last line of, um, so this reference to Hotel California is actually really similar to a post made on Charlie Carver's Facebook on October 1st after he had died. But they didn't know that. So over a month after Charlie and Kayla had gone missing. This is what makes me think that Todd had his phone. Mm -hmm. Because Todd's review says, place is Hotel California now. Yeah. And then the post on Charlie's Facebook included the lyrics from the final lines of the Eagles song. It said, quote, last thing I remember, I was running for the door. I had to find the passage back to the place I was before. Relax, said the night man. We are programmed to receive. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the guy. this guy thinks he's so fucking clever. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that pisses me off. Yep. So let's get into the trial. Okay. <laughs> let's put him away forever. I know. Let's put padlocks on him. Yeah, asshole. Let's put him in a shipping container and lock him up. Yep. The rescue of Kayla is actually... There's a video you can go and find. It's really sad. I watched it. I, w- I wouldn't recommend watching it. Uh, it's like a body cam footage from one of the police officers. So you can hear him say, oh, we got a girl. And then you can see Kayla. She's just sitting on like a mattress tied up to the wall. And some people, after seeing this video, had actually come to Todd's defense and said, oh, well, you know, he gave her books and stuff. Who the fuck are these people? I don't know. But don't, don't defend the man. She was I don't in, give a shit. She's in a shipping container. Did she? Is she? She's chained up in there. Yeah, it's pitch black in there also. I don't give a fuck. What? God damn it! Who the hell is defending him? That is horrible. Mm-hmm. He's a horrible human being. Don't defend the man. I don't even care if you're his mother. That's that's inexcusable. Horrible human being. What is he? He's an asshole. <laughs> Fucking, well, let's put him away. Okay. I'm eager to hear. How many times he has to be in jail forever? <laughs> Fucking better be. So Todd Colehelp was charged with four counts of murder in relation to the superbike shootings. Uh-huh. One count of kidnapping in relation to Kayla Brown's abduction. Mm-hmm. 
He would later be charged with three additional counts of murder for Charlie Carver, Megan Lee McCraw Coxie, and Johnny Joe Cox. One more count of kidnapping for Megan because it had, time of death had shown that she died a week after Johnny. Okay. And three counts of possession of a weapon during the commission of a violent crime. So Todd's court date was scheduled for January 19th, 2017. On May 26, 2017, his trial concluded. I... Nothing fancy in there. Nothing no, fancy. No, 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 no. Stupid things where he claims, oh, I'm, I'm crazy. I don't, yeah. Nope. He flat out confesses to them. Too proud of himself. So on May 26, he pleaded guilty, actually, to seven counts of murder, two counts of kidnapping, and one count of criminal sexual assault. He was sentenced to seven consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. And the reason he pleaded guilty was part of a plea deal that took capital punishment off the table. Mm -hmm. You know what I never get that I want to bring up? I hate how these people, like it's a love-hate thing, like I hate seeing it, that uh, these people who take people's lives... Even though they're going to be in prison forever, they want death off the table. Yeah, they're like, I don't want anybody to do that to me. Yeah. Yeah, what the fuck, dude? Yeah. I don't know. Well, good. Although Culhep's defense team swore that there were no more, no more murder victims, Todd himself has since repeatedly admitted to at least two other murders. So during that time of getting his real estate license and everything, he had actually gotten a pilot's license. Oh my God! Mm-hmm. So what he was saying to the the police were like, "Okay, how many more are there? Where are they? Give us details." And he's like, "Oh, it's not a it's not a math equation of addition. It's multiplication. See, money and a private jet, the whole world. Like something of that nature is what he was saying. He what was. What does that even mean? That." It's not one or two more people. It's like multiples of people that he's murdered. and No, he's full of shit. Yeah, I think so. Because... He's so far up his own ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as of August 2018, he still had failed to give police any information to give any of these extra confessions any weight. Mm-hmm. As of December 2017, so just seven months after he pled guilty and was convicted, he had several lawsuits already. And I think mm-hmm. that's why he tried to give a friend's child some college money. Just to like, oh, you can't take that much money, whatever, because he's just an asshole mm-hmm. and wants to keep hurting them. So he had one lawsuit from the family members of the Superbike murders for wrongful death lawsuit. Mm-hmm. And then he had a civil lawsuit from Kayla Brown herself. Good. Yeah. So I thought that was nice. That was good that she was doing that. So when he was originally placed in prison, he jumped around from one place to the other. I think he ended up, this is his third one he was in. He was actually in, it's not private housing. It's like solitary kind of restrictive housing in prison. His mail was actually stopped in 2017 as well. After a website listed an outline of his hand for sale. According to this article from foxcarolina.com, like he was selling an outline of his hand online. 
Oh, he's trying to make money in there? Mm-hmm. And according to the state's criminal code, an inmate is prohibited from profiting from their crime. Damn right. But the tracing of Kolhep's hands was available for a simple $89. 89 bucks. For a hand outline. See, that shit ain't worth $89. Right. That's not even worth wiping my own ass with, man. You can keep that shit. <laughs> God. So the South Carolina Department of Corrections spokesman, he said that Todd had been in protective custody ever since his hearing on May 30th, 2017. Mm-hmm. And in April of 2018, uh, Todd was moved from protective custody into general pop as the victim's families were angry about his accommodations in prison. Damn right. They were like, no, put him in there. Yeah. Put him in gen pop. Yeah. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't he be in there? He was in protective custody, and the family threw a fit, rightfully so. Yeah, I would agree. And now he is in general population. He is currently imprisoned at Broad River Connect. He is currently imprisoned at Broad River Correctional Institution. And as of August 2020, some of Cole Hep's belongings from his house and everything went into an auction, and the proceeds were donated to the victims' families. Good. So that's good. So Kayla is the only known survivor of. Todd Colehip, asshole, mm-hmm. monogam, whatever. So let's talk about Kayla now. Okay. Because I got good. a little update on how she's doing. Let's let's have some good news for hell's sakes. At least she made it out. That's great. She made it out. So in August of 2018, when her civil lawsuit against Todd finally settled and everything, she was awarded over $6 million from Todd's estate as actual and punitive damages as a result of the kidnapping. Fantastic. So during the trial to decide these damages, a psychiatrist testified that Kayla would require medication and therapy for a long time in order to feel better. I'm sure. Yeah, that's really sad. I can't even imagine what she went through in there. Mm-mm. Nope. So according to that same friend, Dan Heron, from before, Kayla hoped to move on from the pain and work as a victim's advocate at some point. Okay. Dan also said that Kayla had mentioned other potentially unsolved killings that Todd had told her about. Like I said, he had shown her those graves that upturned dirt. Yeah. And those sorts of things. And then he told her the thing about the dogs. So Kayla did face further tragedy in February of 2019. She lost her fiancé, Adam Mason. He died of a self-inflicted knife wound. And it was ruled a suicide. In July of 2019, Kayla and her then-boyfriend, James Moore, were charged with a third-degree criminal domestic violence. This charge seemed to stem from an altercation between Kayla and James, who had been living together at the time, like just a fight where neighbors called the cops sort of thing. But after that, she seems to be doing much better now. She has started a new relationship. She still actually lives in Anderson County, where she did before all this happened, and has a daughter now as well. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. But yeah, so that is the case of Todd Colehelp, the Amazon review killer, and the survival story of Kayla Brown. That case was, it was like pissing me off pretty good. I know, he just keeps doing shitty things. Well, I mean, they all make me mad in a certain way, but he's just so full of himself. I just like, fucking. He's just pompous asshole. Yeah, pompous asshole. Fuck. God, I. I'm mad if he's in there forever. You can fucking stay in there. Yeah. And when I show you the picture, he looks miserable, and I hope he is. Yeah. Okay, so here's a little snapshot of the property, and then what's circled in red is where the container and the place were. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's like really out of the way of. Yeah, that's like hidden. That's crazy. Okay. Yeah, there's like no way. Like nothing around it. So this is a picture of Kayla Brown and Charlie Carver. Okay. This is Megan and Johnny. These are the four from the Superbike Motorsports. And of course, we'll put all these pictures on our Instagram so our listeners can see too. Yeah. And then the a-hole. Yeah. So this first picture is him kind of when he first got his real estate license. And the one on the right is when he was booked for all of this. Oh, he's a douchebag. Doesn't he? He's just... I would never know, honestly, just from that. It looks like a LinkedIn picture. Yeah. Like a headshot, you know, but... I just... He's got like a punchable face, especially knowing what I know. (laughs) He does does have a punchable face. I hope this man gets punched in the throat daily. God. But yeah, so that is the case for this week. Nuts. It's nuts. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Late Night Murder. We hope you enjoyed it. This episode was a listener request. If you have a story that you would like to be told more or you've heard it a million times and would just like to hear it again, be sure to submit a case. You can find the link to do so in our bios on all of our social medias. And we'll also link it in the show notes down below. Please join us next week as we go to Oklahoma and talk about the suspected murder of a 17-year-old girl and the confusing things that happen around the case. Stay up to date on everything happening at Late Night Murder. Be sure to follow us on our social medias. You can find us at Facebook and Instagram at Late Night Murder Podcast, Twitter at LN Murder Podcast, and TikTok at Late Night Murder Podcast. Thank you so much for the continued support of this podcast. All of your reviews are fantastic. We always appreciate that. And if you haven't left a review yet, why not? Leave us a review. Even if you hate it, go ahead and leave us a review. You can find Late Night Murder Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Audible, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Okay, bye. Bye.